everyone. Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, MK. Hello. Hi. And our redoubtable, <laughs> our redoubtable anime and manga friend, Hoyden. Hello. Hello. So all three of us are busted sad sacks today, which we decided was pretty much the correct state of physical being to be in to talk about our topic of the week, which is, Hoyden, what is our topic? God damn it, Clamp. <laughs> Yeah, that's the only appropriate way to say that. I, I think that's, we're all busted, and, and Clamp, like, busts everybody by the end, so I think it's particularly fitting this week. Yeah. I mean, the, the particularly funny thing about this was when we first started talking about doing a Clamp episode, I start, like, whenever I start talking about Clamp, and it's not necessarily the group as a whole, but I start talking about it like it's a dirty old man who, like, stole my virtue. <laughs> when I was, like, just a precious, flowering teenager who didn't know any better, like, all of my metaphors and every one of my feeling words really makes it sound like he seduced me away from, like, the righteous path. And now I'm, like, sitting in this brothel with, like, four teeth smoking a cigarette I rolled out of a newspaper. You know? Like, everything about it sounds so pathetic. See, I have a well, similar problem. But my problem is, uh, I think we all know that, like, I was, I've been pretty naive for most of my life. And I just, like, did not pick up on a lot of the creep factor in Clamp. <laughs> so I was like, everything is really cute. Like, Clamp is great, and it usually ends happily, and, like, people get together. <laughs> And then I talk to you guys as an adult, and I'm like, holy shit, wait a minute, everyone's a pedophile. Yes, and or they're missing an eye, or they've cut off an arm. Yeah. But but the reason, the reason that uh, Clamp is like the dirty old man who like stole your virtue is because, um, I think, related to our previous conversation about boys' love, is that I think for a lot of people, for the North American audiences, Clamp is maybe the first big mainstream um, producer of manga and anime that, that North American audiences saw that had non-traditional relationships. So oh. we were all like, whoa, what is what is happening here? This looks like at a time when boys' love wasn't necessarily accessible, um, that this was maybe your first exposure to um, non-traditional relationships of many flavors, not just um, the gay variety, but um, which I'm sure we will get into in the not too distant future in this podcast, but <laughs> definitely, yeah, we will. I, mean, that's the, I think that's a good place for us to start. Like, so, um, before we get into talking about the individual titles around Clamp and sort of like what makes Clamp like that crack cocaine that won't stop, um, Hoyden, you actually did some research, uh, do you want to give us a really quick overview on what Clamp is for the people who are listening to this, scratching their heads and being like, what on earth is this? I've never even heard of it. Okay. Um, I, I did a little reading via the Wikipedia um, <laughs> to sort of supplement what I picked up over the years, which was, you know, basically crazy pants. But here's what, <laughs> I've, come up with. Here's what I've come up with. I've come up with that Clamp is basically us. It is four ladies who got their start as part of a larger group that did doujinshi uh, or, or sort of visual fanfic and sort of condensed into this group of four ladies who were like got their start and started making manga their manga got turned into anime and it's just like the four of them sharing office space they have one woman who sort of serves as their spokesperson their storyboard their 
scriptwriter and producer, and then the other three who sort of divvy up according to series, like the art responsibilities and so forth. So I'm basically like, Clamp is like, ladies getting shit done. Um, yeah. I brought like this hilarious part where they're like, we don't have assistance because you know why? That shit slows you down. Like, we have our shorthand from like years of working together. We are soft top. Fuck that. Like, we just, <laughs> we're going to do our own thing. So in summary, I think they're pretty great. Um, except for when we get to the part of what they actually did to everybody. Um, <laughs> they're like the best, but they're also super assholes, which is probably yeah. why we like them and also they're hate like them. They're like the greatest, except for all the ways in which they're the worst. <laughs> yeah. So in conclusion, like us. Yeah. <laughs> and us, I mean globally fandom, but yes. Yeah, because I was about to say, like, I can't, I can't draw anymore, guys. Not yeah. even Cox. Um, not even Cox, did you just say? Yes. Yes, MK, I did just say, not even Cox. Good. You drew yeah. our, our stupid cover art. I, that's true. That was my one moment of artistic genius. But uh, circling back to Clamp and why they're terrible, what was your first Clamp uh, manga? And what was so striking about it? Hmm. Whoa. I think my first one was Cardcaptor Sakura, mm. um, which might also explain why I'm like, everything in Clamp is so great, so cute, so happy. No, um, that is, no, no. Cardcaptor Sakura is why, frankly, is why I still have the delusion every time I go into new Clamp series, I'm like, maybe this isn't going to end with eye gouging and, you know, people's limbs being ripped off, but I'm wrong because... <laughs> Basically, Cardcaptor Sakura is a lie. It's like a perfect, beautiful, sugary, you know, like, uh, basically magical girl series. And you're like, this is great. And, you it's, know, it actually ends mostly happily. And then you're like, I bet, I'm sure this new series called Holic is going to, like, end the same way. And you won't fall <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing about Cardcaptor Sakura, which, by the way, was also my first one. It was, um... I picked up the manga for the first time during one of my, like, binge reads during summer vacation in China, where I was just, like, picking up any cute manga that I could read. <laughs> um, and the art was so adorable. <laughs> you guys haven't seen Cardcaptor Sakura art? It's adorable. So cute. So cute. It's basically about this girl named Sakura who is in the fourth grade, right? Yeah, yeah. she's, like, ten years old. And she becomes, like, a magical girl with a quest to capture all of these magician's cards. It is charming as hell. There are lots of elements and pieces of it that are adorable. Um, everything about it is designed to, like, make you, at the age of, like, 12, all over that shit, right? Like, you're crazy about it. There's you're a deep. super cute romance. There's, like, everything is so fucking cute. Everything is painfully cute. But then as you get older, right? And then as you get older and you reread the series, these weird creepo layers start, like, emerging from the mist of pedophilia where you're like, why? Wait what? a minute. Yeah, okay, so. What the fuck is going on here? And I'm like, this is not us reading subtext into it. That's the it's beautiful thing blatant. about the lamp. Whenever you're like, this is fucked up. It's not subtext. It is canon. Yeah, there's, okay, so after she, like, she's 10, she's adorable, she's, like, kind of got a, a love thing going on with, like, her cute classmate who moved there from China. Um, and then you start noticing that, like, her other classmate, this, like, young girl, is painfully in love with their elementary school teacher, who's a grown-ass man who, like, plans to marry that kid. They have, they have a promise. <clears throat> yeah, 
promise. There are random scenes that happen in the series, in the manga, where, like, it's not like they kiss or anything, but they share, like, a tender moment. Yeah. And he, like, has given her a promise ring. She's ten! She's ten. And when I was a kid, I was like, they're the cutest couple. Like, I really hope they get together. A hundred percent. I feel like at the age of 11, I was like, I'm totally into that. That's adorable. Right? That's my like, true love. He's you're so handsome like, and nice. He's a pedophile. Right. Like, the thing for us that's sort of, I think, hard to look back in retrospect and remember is actually, even though, like, Cardcaptor Sakura looks, A, freaking adorable, uh, yes. that at the time, like, the relationships that Clamp were presenting, um, we're all kind of, you know, eyebrow raising. Like Sakura's best friend Tomoyo, who is a, another girl, is like crazy pants, like crazy pants in love with her. Just like absolutely star, you know, starry eyed, you know, completely gaga over. Plus, like, they're cousins, and Tomoyo's mom is in love with her sister, who is Sakura's mom, her like dead mom. Yeah, her dead mom. And then oh, blames she- Sakura's dad. Her dead mom also met her dad when she was, like, either in end of middle school or beginning of high school. And he was an older man. He was the teacher. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. She fell out of a tree onto him. And then they got married and had Sakura. So, like, by this pattern, you're like, I oh. married a number of my middle and high school teachers. And, like, I guess in middle and high school I would have done it, but there's a reason there are laws against that sort of thing. Yeah, when you look back at that as a grown-up, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then the other relationship that I think um, a lot of us focused on was the one between Sakura's older brother and his best friend, who Sakura is like... Yuki. Sort of like, yeah, uh, Yukito, that she's just like sort of... She's in like cute, like middle school love with, like, your older brother's best friend, like, kind of thing. Like, she's just sort of, like, happy and starry-eyed over him, but... Her brother is for reals in love with that dude? Um, they are for reals in love with each other, and it's adorable, and it's great, and... It also turns out that that dude is secretly an angel? Yeah, so, like, that's adorable and great until you realize that, like, he's not a real person. He's, He's like, the cover for a powerful magical spirit. And then they just have to, like, share the boyfriend. And I was like, even at that age, I was like, foul. I call foul. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, I feel sorry for Yue, who is, like, the angel spirit inside of Yukito. Because I was like, because he doesn't really love Toya. But if he can fall in love with him, then I think this is totally acceptable. I did not feel, I did not feel sorry for him. I am that person who does not like to share, you know, food, clothes, affection. Get the fuck out. That is my man. Don't even look at him. I don't want his name in your mouth. Walk away. Like, I, I was not okay with that. Even Aww. at the age of, like, 11. So it ends up being sort of like a, a unexpectedly poly-gay relationship that, um... There's only think... two bodies involved, but it's still poly. Yeah, basically. Uh... There's also it's... the last relationship in that show that... The one that, like, even as a kid, I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> This was, like, where I drew the line. I was like, no, this is unacceptable. Is Clow, who is, like, the... I don't know how the fuck old this dude is supposed to be, really. But, like, old as balls, let's just say. (laughs) Right? Like, he is old as balls. Has died or something, and then came back in the form of, like, another ten-year-old boy in her class. 
But he has the soul and, like, the mind of old as balls clow. <laughs> but he's in the body of a ten-year-old, and he gets together with, like, her mentor lady, who's, like, 40. And I was like, yeah. I get that your, like, mind and everything is old, but you're in the body of a ten-year-old. Like, that's where I was like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, this was a series that introduced us to a lot of, like, fucked up Japanese shorthand for, like, pedo stuff without us knowing that we were being introduced to fucked up Japanese shorthand for pedo stuff. And when you are first, when you are first reading that at a young age, like, you really do gloss over all of it, right? Like, I missed all of that shit until, um, I don't know what happened, but I, I must have, like, I feel like, oh, you know what it was? It was because I was moving. When I was moving, um back from like I was moving around both between the New York and London and London back to New York moves I was packing by which I mean I was reading all my books again as you do as you do and ended up rereading like the cardcaptor sakura manga that I own that's in Chinese and um the volume that I was reading at the time was the Romeo and Juliet play one which is incredibly charming as a story because they basically draw random lots to see who is playing what parts and the male protagonist named Sharon ends up playing Juliet and Sakura ends up playing Romeo, which is charming as fuck. So but charming. Then, but that's also like one of those, um, that's also one of those episodes where like the, the fourth grader who's betrothed to the teacher thing comes into forebear and you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. I don't remember this business. I'm just I, not I, as cute as I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did not watch Cardcaptor Sakura in its entirety until like I had maybe seen an episode or two, but I didn't watch it until um, until after college actually. So Cardcaptor Sakura was not my first brush with brush with Clamp at all. So Um, what was what was the Clamp story that popped your cherry, buddy? Oh, um, you better believe it was Tokyo Babylon because I'm sure that (laughs) one. Note my strategic use of the word cherry there. Yeah, thanks. You two are the worst. Uh, Yeah, so my first was actually was Tokyo Babylon. So actually, in all seriousness, I can't say I didn't know what I was getting into with Clamp because if you start with Tokyo Babylon, you're like, well, this is all going to shit because basically it's a dude who makes a bet with a child and... In summary, he feeds corpses to an evil Sakura tree. I'm sure it's just going to go... his mom that he had an incestuous relationship with. (laughs) There's just so much beauty and perfection. And then there's the whole, like, I'm really into you, so I'm going to kill your twin sister element of the whole series. I don't know what it is with Clamp and, like, killing your twin sister, but that is a big thing for them. So is incest. So is pedo stuff. So is, like, trees that eat corpses. Like, what is... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's, like, things that Clamp was like, you know, it's great. And the rest of us were like, wait, wait, hold on. What did you just say? But I, I feel like it's, like Hoyden said, they're us, right? They're, like, fangirls. Yeah. So it's the fucking fangirl echo chamber, right? And so, like, I am sure that there are entire segments of fandom outside of the immediate circumference of certain fandoms that are, like, what the shit is this teen nodding garbage? <laughs> but like everyone at Teen Wolf fandom is like, I am into this nodding business. I am all about this like 
inflatable penis shaped thing that is happening inside of a person. Right now, I'm all about that. Listen, I I cannot tell you why it's good. I can only say that it's working for us. I'm saying that that, like, the the people eating tree is their penis not. Like, it's... (laughs) It makes sense to them. It lives inside of their echo chamber. No, I, I fully get it. It's like the, this is the trope that is popular. It's like... To the four of them. That's the, the four of them. But it's like that thing where you're like, if you look back over the stuff you've written in fandom over, like, your lifetime, oh, you're like, uh, I clearly like X, Y, and Z. Like, no matter what fandom it is, these things kind of come up again and again. Yeah. And for some reason... Cutting out your eyeball, being tragically in love with a blood relative, <laughs> uh, wanting to fuck your super older grade school teacher. <laughs> but like romantic styles, it's not just. <laughs> I'm just like, I love romantic styles, it's fine. It's fine because it's super romantic. And you're like, I just want you to know that you just put the Jake Peralta describing. The romantic styles with which you, like, have feelings for a blood relative. <laughs> you need, like, this is, like, some, like, there's some shit that's happening in Clamp where, like, papal dispensation will not save you from hell. Like, no amount of Pope Pius saying that that shit's kosher is gonna make it okay. I think if you are a fan of Clamp, you're pretty much going to hell. Yeah, well, we'll have a party room down there, okay? I'll have zines and a piñata. It'll be great. Great, we'll go um, picnic under that fucking tree that was his mom. Oh, about the tree. About the tree. So, um, right. So to actually, wait, wait, before you get into the tree, to actually give people some explanation on what Tokyo Babylon is, aside from just being incest murder trees and murder. Um, I can totally do it. Yeah, do it. So the thing that I actually forgot and then started rereading my Tokyo Babylon manga is that um, actually most of the series is not incredibly enough, about an evil uh, corpse-eating sakura tree, but it's actually a social commentary on, like, individualism, and there's a lot that's happening in the manga that you're like, oh, well, that's, like, actually interesting and insightful, and um, one of the parts about the manga is how strong a presence the city of Tokyo itself is part of it, so um, that all these places they go to in the manga are places that exist in real life, so if you ever really want to freak out your friends, like I may have done to prove it okay, you can just take them to Ueno Park to where all the cherry blossom trees like line the road in the park there and uh, watch them freak out and for fun. We were some pretty ugly Westerners, like, walking around the park with, like, our purchase bentos, and it was definitely me and MK being like, is that the incest murder tree? Is that the incest murder tree? <laughs> Please tell um, us which one is the incest murder tree so that we can picnic under it. Yeah. We just want to be close to her. <laughs> but, so, like, the basic plot of the story is this. That, um, there is... Wh- oh, for, wait, what's omyoji in, in English? I don't even know. Uh, shaman or priest? Sure. It's like a priest or something? Yeah, okay. Um, a cult something? I, whatever. Doesn't really matter. Not really. Not particularly. Anyway, um... There are these young twins who both have some sort of like magic juju in their their bloodline, and one of them, the the boy of the twins, is Dustin, whose name is Subaru, who's going to become the head of their clan, who is sort of the force for like good magic in Japan. And of course, there is a rival family that is like bad magic, and 
the boy who is going to become the head of the Bad Magic Clan, who is Seishiro, meets Subaru when he's a kid and makes him a bet that Subaru will not remember for years. He makes him a bet as a child. He says, when you turn 15, I will spend a year with you. And if I feel anything for you besides indifference at the end of that year, I'll spare your life. Um, and he marks Subaru's hand so he can find him afterwards, because that sounds great and in no way creepy. Thanks a lot, Clamp. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then the Tokyo Babylon itself starts with Subaru and his twin Hokuto meeting uh, this kindly veterinarian who seems, like, really great really creepily into Subaru. And uh, so it's sort of this, the, the story is the story of the year of the bet. And um, as mentioned, this is going to go terribly for everybody involved. Fucking clamp. <laughs> this is one of those series where I, I looked at it and I read like the first volume and my friends were super into it. And I was like, um, I think this one's going to be too fucked up for me. So I'm just going to bail. Well, the funny thing about it is that for the first part of that series, it's sort of, like, largely episodic, where, uh, if I'm not remembering this wrong, because it's really been years, where Subaru is kind of, like, dealing with cases. Yes. Because... Like, case-fic sort of oriented. Yeah, so, like... It's case-fic with ominous uh, undertones that have become realized in the last volume. I think the ominous undertones, I could, like, feel it happening, and I was like... I really like case fic, but I think this one is not for me. Right, but I feel like a lot of people who are, like, discovering Tokyo Babylon are, like, are won over by, like, this series has, like, the perfect classic old-school slash fandom setup, right? Like, you've got Subaru, who's, like, this gorgeously twinky innocent, um, who has this, like, charming, older, wealthy, veterinarian dude who's, like, way too into him for it to be anything platonic. And then he's got his, like, spunky, funny twin sister who's, like, all about rooting for that shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not until, like, the fucking murder and the tree feeding starts that you're like, wait, I've been betrayed by the brother. That's actually, I think that's part of the reason why it hooks people is because it is this beautiful, like, you know, catnip kind of setup, and then Clamp's like, oh, you like this? Wait till you see what we're about to do to it. And it's just like this, actually, I mean, in terms of being a tragedy, it's kind of a perfect tragedy. It's like, you, it hurts all the worse because you could see how it could have gone differently if, you know, maybe somebody hadn't been an evil, murdering assassin who had no emotions or feelings and ends up uh, breaking Subaru's arm, killing his twin sister, and being like, peace out, see you never. Yeah. Uh, except for he doesn't actually see him never. He sees him well, later. Like, we'll touch this on the Rainbow Bridge. Which yeah. Is the sequel to this, which also was so great to all of us. Uh, <laughs> I think what makes this great is there's a lot of Tokyo Babylon thick in Clamp fandom. Yeah. And it's like... Some of it is really fucked up, and some of it is like, I can fix this. Just just give me some time. I bet you I can fix this. And it's like, I, I don't think you can. Well, one of the most popular, we were talking about this, Lloyd, one of the most popular, like, stories and recurring premises in the fandom is Subaru traveling back in time to the beginning of the year of the bet with knowledge of the bet. Hmm. Like, can I fix this? And I mean, from a much 
from a more mature reading point of view, I would basically say like, this would be a study in tragedy in motion. Like there's very little you can do to sort of derail the inevitable sadness of that story or the inevitable, like craziness of that story. But like, all of those fics do make an effort because they basically look at the problem and then they try to like a- apply ass to it. And it it's not enough. You know, there's really not enough ass fucking in the world to fix the larger <laughs> issue surrounding Sandro and his murder incest Sakura tree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's just like, there's a lot there to sort of um, unpack and deal with at the end that I'm just like, that's, part of the tragedy and part of the awfulness of meeting these characters again in a future series is that they basically do have to grapple with their own their own history and you're like there's no real good way out of this like no there's a list of like shit that's pretty unforgivable killing somebody's twin sister um and telling them that they mean nothing to you and you are in no way moved by all the time you spent together and would actually be pretty happy to kill them, except for your twin sister's magic and some things that saved your life. Uh, that's kind of hard to get over. And yet, I read so much fic. I read so much fic. I'm just do just that. Well, the funny thing about this, right, is that I did not read Tokyo Babylon at first. I was not aware of Tokyo Babylon's existence at first. Oh, no, you went um, into X? Yes. The Ooh. first time that I met Seishiro and Subaru, it was as secondary characters in the sequel to Tokyo Babylon called X-1999, which I, like, that remains an unfinished work in progress for them. To the person who asks if we think they'll ever finish it, just insert our sad, deranged laughter. No, they're never going to finish it. <laughs> no. I, I feel like, at this point, they're just like, no. Um, that series was abandoned, like, in the 90s, right? Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't due to, like, like, publication or legal issues at all? Uh... No, I think they just got fucking sick of it. They abandoned it back when I would have, like, middle school married a teacher. It's been a while. Like, <laughs> Yeah, okay. I feel like um, maybe 97, maybe? It was one of their earlier projects, right? Because yeah. Babylon was, like, the second thing that they ever seriously had published or serialized. Right. So the point is, like, I went into X-1999, which holds, like, a very warm spot in my heart, not because the content was, like, particularly warm or fuzzy, but because I think it raises, like, a really interesting question. Um, the basic premise of X is that there are two opposing forces doing battle, and Tokyo is their, is their ground zero, which is basically the side of um, the people who want to save humanity by destroying the Earth and the people who want to destroy or who want to save the Earth by destroying humanity. And there are all these, like, random fucking, like, teenage weirdo players and, like, all this other shit and, like, all these interesting caravan of personalities that show up. And we meet Subaru in that series, and he is a bitter, hearted, fucking chain-smoking, broke son of a bitch, like, so fucked up in his head. And the first time he meets up with Seishiro again, you just, like... It's, it's basically like the world has ended all over again, and then their big final confrontation on the Rainbow Bridge is intense and all that shit. And it was after that that I found out that Tokyo Babylon, like, existed. Oh, and when I went back and read it, it was just, like, with... It, it's that bittersweet delight, because you know how it's going to end, but it was so good seeing, like, the sugar syrup before. 
if that makes any sense at all. You're the worst. It was so good. I was just like, oh, Subaru, you have no idea. Yeah, I think the the thing about X actually as a gateway into Clamp is that X actually exemplifies a lot of their their themes and the way I would say that Clamp likes to do business, which is, oh, hey, um, we have all these other characters. Let's just uh, kind of throw these in here together, make some new ones, draw some feathers, draw some gears, draw some red ribbon, make a bunch of soulmates, and then um, watch them all destroy each other. Like, right. it's, they're not just soulmates, Hoyden. They're your special person. Oh, and God. as they're your special person, it could be a lady, it could be a dude, it could be like, who the fuck fucking knows? We're clamp. Have some goddamn feathers. Like, just... Uh, okay, yeah. can I say related? Um, because we got a bunch of questions about legal drug and drug and drop, mm-hmm. and I just, like, caught up on all of drug and drop last week. Mm-hmm. Every fucking... <laughs> yeah, it's bonkers, but every fucking clamp character is in drug drug and drop, like, now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. <laughs> like, all of them. People that <laughs> you were just not expecting. Drug and drop? Okay, so what happened is, legal drug, go ho drug was running in this magazine. The magazine went out of business or whatever. Um, and due to licensing things, Clamp had to, like, stop producing this series. So it wasn't, like, by choice. They were really happy writing it, and then they had to stop. Um, and so... Can I, can I interject for just a second? I would like to say that this is why, for a long time, I maintained that Legal Drug was the perfect Clamp series, because as far as I was concerned... <laughs> That's where it ended. Can't to fuck it up yet. Yeah. And- now, now, now okay. they're fucking it up real hard. <laughs> okay, so essentially, if you like XXXholic, XXXholic is the series they made because they were like, oh, we can't make legal drug anymore, so we're just gonna rewrite it as Holic. Um, it's about like two guys who have like weird, separate, tragic backstories and kind of psychic abilities who work at this drugstore and like part time, more like full time for the owners of this store do, like, supernatural errands. Um, but basically, now that it's been, like, my entire life has passed, they've decided to, uh, restart it because they have the legal stuff sorted out. So they made, they picked up Legal Drug, but they changed the name to Drug and Drop, and it's, like, running in a magazine, and it's being scanlated online, and I'm gonna link to the scanlations so that you can read them. But I'm just gonna tell you right now, it's gonna fuck you up. (laughs) So, pre the fuck up, it was like they ran some errands, you got some hints about, like, a twin sister and, like, another sister and, like, some murder and shit in their backstories. Oh my god, they the tree. <laughs> There's, what? like, a tree in, like, the second chapter. God damn that tree! That <laughs> tree tries but to murder someone. But to be fair, there's also, like, cross-dressing, like... Yeah, they school adventures too. So they go undercover at an all boys school, and yeah. the pretty one has to obviously enter the all boys cross dress as a beautiful girl have a beauty contest. Obviously, yeah. obviously, while having like a love triangle and helping someone else with their magical love triangle. And there's also like some sort of astral projection going on. It was all really good for me, and I was so like, good. I just love that series. I love it so much. Prior to it becoming drag and drop. But it was moving really slowly, right? Because they were like, oh, we've got all the time in the world. Drag and Drop opens up. They're like, you're meeting Watanuki now? 
he's like living alone in his stupid shop, like unaging and really sad and tragic. You're going to run an errand for him. Uh, then you're going to run an errand where you meet that like gender neutral gay angel from Wish. And then it's going to turn out that like some other characters from Wish have secretly been in this series all along. And everyone you know is an angel or a demon. Also, we're telling you all of the backstory in two chapters. Hope you're ready for like a lot of blood. Boom. And yeah. somebody is already like missing an eye. <laughs> like I was just like, what the shit happened? It went from like cross-dressing school adventures to missing an eye every clamp crossover ever uh, an info dump. In, like, yeah, two so chapters. I feel like this is a good point for me to kind of, like, jump in and steer us in a particular direction, though. Okay. Because having gone over some of Clamp's quote-unquote greatest goddamn hits at this point, people listening have sort of probably picked up a couple of running themes that the, that the creators have beyond just, like, eye-gouging and limb loss. Um, but... <laughs> Clamp, I feel like the reason the Clamp is so popular and their popularity sustains itself, and despite the fact that, like, we fucking know better, we keep letting that guy into our house, um, is because they write epic, amazingly imaginative fantasy. And it, it, another component of this that you're not going to get at all through this particular medium is how gorgeous their art is. It is beautiful. Their character designs are wonderful. They will pick up certain artistic styles for different projects and sort of um, really run away with them. And the best example I can think of this is that if you ever do a Google image search for Holic, you will get a series of book covers that really look like Gothic Lolita Alphonse Mucha prints. Like they just are amazing with their character design and their world building and the beauty of it is fantastic. If you're at all a manga nerd or like an art nerd, you will be really into this stuff. Fuck, the um, first time you see Yuko like lounging on that chair in the back of her shop. Splendid, right? So yeah. gorgeous. Like I just stared at that page for so long. I was like, this is so beautiful. I can't stop looking at it. Yeah. All of the art in Holic is fantastic. So uh, I think fundamentally the reason that they are so popular is because they tell amazingly imaginative stories um, about everyone. You know, like their characters are not particularly male. They're not particularly female. They just tell crazy bonkers, high fantasy, weird, dark, noir, like slight tint to horror, like weird existential stuff. Like they have zero boundaries. So in a weird way, this is almost like your favorite idfic fanfic author who writes across fandoms and about everything. And that is the reason that they have the terrifyingly huge following that they do. It's so crazy, right? Because it's like, do you want a magical girl? Do you want giant robots fighting each other? Do you want, um, like, androids? And, like, a, a discussion of what makes someone human? Like, everything that you love will happen. Yeah, in one clamp, um, in one clamp story or another. Are you looking for interesting queer relationships they're all over the place in clamp um mangas are you looking for like cruel queer baiting also all over the place in clamp manga um do you want to just be real sad all the time they will serve that shit up yeah Uh, one of the the interesting points that i was as i was reading up on clamp itself was that um the spokes lady for, for Clamp was saying that they really endeavored to have like a central theme to each series and they wanted to do something different every time. 
which is why like um, X-1999 is like their foray into apocalyptic fiction and that uh, Card Country Sakura is a magical girl series. And what is actually great about that is that they're like, we don't actually know shit about magical girl series. Gonna do it anyway. Awesome time. <laughs> they did um, an amazing job. Fuck, I love that series so much. Except, it's not except like for the pedophilia mythic. stuff. Except for the yeah. pedophilia stuff. Right. But it's not just thematic. It's also artistically, they usually have a theme like, for Card Captor Sakura, like their direction was sort of to like insert into their line art curves everywhere they can, which is why Card Captor Sakura is beautiful. Like it's just, it's got a very soft look to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, everything feels lacy in Card yeah. Captor Sakura. Like even the hair feels lacy. Whereas I remember zero about the story Clover, but what I do remember is the amazing negative space in the art. Oh my like, god. It's, I mean, it is gorgeous art. Like, the character design and the way, like, the white and black fills the space is just, it's, it's, it's stunning. Like, I have not reread that manga, but I still have such a clear image in my head of, of that art style. Yeah, and I mean, like, the way that I view, like, Tsubasa, the art in Tsubasa, like, for all the, like, as crazy as Tsubasa got, the art in Tsubasa is fucking incredible. So gorgeous. I just could not read that series, and I'm so glad I didn't. Which was a wise choice, but Tsubasa Reservoir Chronicles is, like, basically, I would say, peak clamp, <laughs> in every sense of the word. Peak clamp. Um, and it has got some of the most amazingly beautiful high fantasy art that I've ever seen. It's, like, the distillation of, because Tumasa, more than any series before they had ever done, is their legitimate excuse to write fanfic of their own fanfic, where they just bring in characters from every single universe they've ever had. They had to merge all of the art styles. So anything that you may have found, like, unsettling or too-too about one particular art style gets erased. And there's a very comfortable, cohesive, slightly less immature version of the Cardcaptor Sakura art present in the Tsubasa art with these sweeping vistas, incredible fight scenes, just some of the most amazingly beautiful, just like the hugeness of it all art that I've seen in a really long time, which foolishly seduced me into thinking that that series was going to be okay. But as Hoyden says, Tsubasa is the one that we all put down, like, this is why we can't have nice things next to it. (laughs) I mean, the, the crazy thing about Tsubasa, for our listeners who are not familiar, is that um, Tsubasa and Hollick ran, ran concurrently, and they actually crossed over so that, to some degree, you had to sort of note what was happening in the other series because it informed the other one. So yeah. I, for example, I, for example, did not really care about Tsubasa. I was like, whatever. I was all about reading Hollick at the same time. But there would be things that would happen in Tsubasa manga that would tell you, like, important information that you needed to know. I had to go and Google that shit while I was reading Holic because I was like, I'm not reading Tsubasa. You can't make me. And I had to, like, go on Wikipedia and be like, fuck, what are they talking about? You guys could have just asked me. I was, like, the one dumb fuck in North America that was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Go ahead. Don't worry. I had other patsies who told me, like, what was happening. (laughs) I was not, like, you know, doing it myself. But, um... You have to admit, like, that is kind of ballsy. You're like, yep, we're going to do two series. We're going to try and make you read both at the same time. And they're, like, being serialized at the same time, which is just, I'm like, did you sleep? Like, I have real questions about, like, 
clamps like mental well-being, which maybe is responsible for, I was going to say maybe it's responsible for why Subasa ends the way it does, except for I have it on uh, authority of Clamps Wikipedia page that they predetermine all the endings of all this shit. So they know it's going straight to hell at the beginning. So Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Those assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what can we say about Tsubasa? It's like... Tsubasa, uh, the we reason? We got a question about, like, does this make sense? And the answer is, no. I think, no. Well, it's hilarious, because as soon as we... We actually got a ton of questions, which we're going to get into, like, right now. But we actually got a ton of questions, and at least two of them were the exact same question from totally independent sources, which were, does anyone understand the ending of Tsubasa? <laughs> I read that I read the summary in the Wikipedia page. I was like, "What the shit is this? Like, what? What is happening?" So the beautiful thing about the ending was just to give you guys a quick overview, in case you're like thinking, "Like, man, this sounds balls fucking crazy." I'm all about this action. Is Tsubasa Reservoir Chronicles is could not be further away from Holic on its face. It is a high fantasy story that starts in a desert country, run by. Um, uh, familiar faces, right? There's King Toya, who is uh, from Cardcaptor Sakura, Sakura's older brother, and his boyfriend slash life partner, Yukito, is his high vizier um, and uh, advisor, I guess. And Sakura's a princess, and she's in love with this like random archaeologist boy that lives in um, their city called Shauron. And for reasons that like never really were entirely clear to me, there's an attack. She runs down to the archaeological digs with Sharon. Something terrible happens to her. All of her memories fragment into a million feathers that gets, and every feather is a memory that gets scattered across the multiverse. And she's dying without them. So the Grand Vizier um, Yukito uses all of his magic to send Sharon and Sakura's comatose body, which get used to it because you're going to live with that for like 48 volumes. Um, Sakura's comatose body to Yuko's shop from Holic so that they can try and find a way to save her and recover her memories. And at the same time, in two other worlds, you've got, uh, <laughs> oh my God. you've got Kurogane, who is like a sworn slash ninja warrior for a queen in a country that is basically Japan, like ancient Japan. And then there's Fai, who is, um, like another dead twin wizard situation there. Uh, Fucking dead twin wizards, by the way, also part of legal drug. Yeah, so much dead, so much dead twin wizard, um, who is like asking to like leave his Nordic wonder, like basically frozen. He's trying to escape frozen, a much darker frozen. Good. Uh, and he's a very powerful magician. And all of them congregate at Yuko's store. And she gives them, like, this fucking wish and, like, a Mokana, which is, like, a cute, adorable Pokemon-type magic animal. Um, and they travel across the multiverse looking for Sakura's feathers and meet friends and fight things along the way. This series, when it started, I'm not joking. I thought that I had reached the platonic ideal of what I wanted out of Clamp, right? It was found family. It was characters that I already loved plus new characters that I adored, um, just being charming, beautiful art, grand adventure. The adventures were kind of One Piece style at first, right? Like, I was like, yeah, it has that One Piece feel that I love. 
it was very episodic initially you would go to a world you would like meet these people you would attempt to do this stuff you would find a feather for sakura and you would like give her the feather she would remember something everyone was fucking happy you moved on and then this series somehow went to a place that was just like what is actually happening to my face i feel like that dude that hannibal gave drugs to so he peeled off pieces of his own face and ate it that's how i felt about tsubasa toward the end of that series um wow that was one yeah. some people tried to get me to read it because they were like you love sakura and shaoran you know what you would like because they they're gonna get back together and i started reading it and i was like i don't trust you here's here's like here's the absolute ass thing i'm spoiling the shit for everyone if you were getting into tubasa reservoir chronicles because you think that sakura and shaoran are gonna get together they are assholes to you about this they are not gonna get together they, like, the whole fucking point of this series is they love each other so much, and Sharon loves her so much. They're clones. They're not real. They're clones, and they should not exist. And as a penalty for being clones and, like, not erasing two people from existence, Watanuki has to live inside. Watanuki from Holic has to live inside the magical shop forever, and Sharon has to travel forever, never staying in one place. So they still can never be together. Yeah. And that is the whole point of the of Tubasa. And like, I'll have to find a link to this. Um, some girl did an amazing like final chapter rundown of Tubasa, which perfectly elucidates all of my feelings on it, which are just basically like is it just moments a lot of, of like. Swearing? Moments of brief hope, followed by, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Whereas, by contrast, with um, with Holic, which um, starts off, I would say... Um, it's sort of Japanese ghost story, right? Yes. Like, like, it's like, like, the feeling of, like, Japanese ghost stories and Japanese mythology that happens in Holic, I think, is really beautifully rendered, um, first I, of all. Love that series so much. And it starts off with this boy named Watanuki, who um, he is he's being pursued and and like basically harassed by spirits who you know nobody else can see, but like they are menacing him, and like his life is absolutely really adversely impacted. He's an orphan. He's living alone, and he ends up at a shop. Um, of a witch who can grant wishes. And he's like, basically, I really would give just about anything to have, like, to not see these spirits anymore. Like, just to, to like, to live normally and, and not have this happen to me anymore. And she's like, awesome. Um, you're totally going to work for me, though, as, like, my part-time assistant to, like, because she's like, this shit ain't for free. Like, you, everything has a price and you got to pay it. So he's like, well, I guess. I guess this is the thing that's going to happen now. Um, and Watanuki has two friends, a uh, very stoic friend named Domeki, who is... Flawless, a, perfect, wonderful in every way. Love him. Son of uh, a son of a temple family, um, who himself cannot see spirits, but is incredibly pure of heart. And so when he's close to Watanuki, he sort of repels like the evil spirits away. And he can and, exercise them. Right, that's also true. And then there's his friend Himawari, who Watsunuki fancies himself deeply in love with, but um, what he 
at first does not know, but later comes to gradually accept is that Himawari is like super fucking bad luck. No good news for him. Like just because of who, what, like what her spirit is like, um, the witch Yuko is like, you guys are not like, you should just, you should just not like, you should like not talk. You should not see each other. She's like, but how about that Domeki? That Domeki, um, what a charmer. Yeah, right? Um, so at first, like, they have, like, these... Watsunuki gets sent on lots of errands by Yuko to, you know, go do stuff for clients and, like, um, you know, various, like, sort of adventures. And so I sort of went along thinking, I was like, maybe, maybe this will be the first time in quite a long time when a clamp series doesn't go straight to hell. And I maintained that belief for so long. And then, and then, and, and then. And then, then Watsunuki basically falls out a window, loses half the yep. And, uh, like, there's, like, blood donation. There's, like, a spider that uh, basically takes Watsunuki's eye. And, like, Domeki, like, shares half of his with its all. That's it's, not even, that's not even describing it correctly, but my point is, I was incorrect in my hope that this would end well. Can I just say, there's also, like, so there's the manga of Hollick, which, I mean, I loved, even though it fucks you up in the end, as per usual. Um, but they made a drama, like a live-action TV drama of it which, last okay, year. I, I'm gonna have to cut in here and say, I found that unwatchable. You know what, I really liked the first chunk of it, I would say. And then the last half of it just became about, like, Himawari might want to commit suicide. What? That is literally the last four episodes of that series. are like, Himawari kind of wants to commit suicide. She gets kidnapped by that spider demon. Spider demon, like, wants to keep her forever. And Watanuki tries to, like, give up his life to save her or whatever. But Domeki stops him. They save Himawari. And then she tries to commit suicide after they've saved her anyway. And it's like, the end! The greatest thing about that, of course, is none of those themes exist in the actual manga. Like, at all. I was really getting excited for, like, because it was really just doing early days Hollick stuff. And I was like, I love early days Hollick. Like, I'm really hoping that in the next couple episodes, they're going to delve into, no, no, they're not. So (laughs) don't, don't watch that. I mean, I think that the anime, the the first, uh, there are, like, two series of Hollick, don't worry about it. Um, the, the first series of anime was actually perfect. Uh, perfect. Like, it was actually all the episodic sort of adventures, and it didn't really get too far into the actual plot of what happens in Holic. Um, but, so it was just sort of visually, like, beautiful, and, yeah. like, the voice acting, like, Yuko's perfect. voice actress was, like, perfection. And so, like, that the first series holds a pretty strong place in my heart, because, again, you're like, it's beautiful, it's creepy, but nothing actually hurts yet. Yeah. Yes, I have to say that, like, before I force us to start talking about these questions that we got, part of the reason, and I love Tsubasa, I thought it could have been perfect, but I still love Holic despite the ending, because in terms of artistic style, storytelling, um, all of it, it was, it really, like, struck something very deep in me, and more than that, I think the reason that it resonates with me still is because 
all of the clamp stories talk about like your special person and your friendships and things. But I feel like Holic was the only one that really showed you a functional, beautiful friendship. Specifically, um, the scene that you see it the most poignantly is there is a scene where Watanuki falls out of a window on the second floor of his school. And he's lost a lot of blood and his back is entirely lacerated. And you realize because of the nature of his falling out of the window, which is like, um, a magical related injury that he's going to need magical related help. And there are a couple of like different rules that go along with Yuko's magic shop. And one of the ones is that unless you have a wish, you can't see it. So the way that they do the reveal there is actually quite crushing, right? Because yeah. up until that point, the only person who has been in the shop is Watanuki. And his two friends know about his weirdness, but haven't been in the store. And when he wakes up and he's alive, like he survived this fall, you see Domeki and um, Hiwamari-chan, who have never been in the shop before, inside the shop. Like, because they both made wishes and you realize uh, very quickly that the wishes were a to, for, you know, Watanuki to live or something like that. And Domeki gave his blood. So he's completely out. He's like lying on the floor, um, totally strapped. And then Hiwamari took Watanuki's scars and she still wears them on her back. Like all of the scars that he got, she has. And they're so grateful just to have him there because they love him and he's his friend. And I remember reading that and just being like, oh my God, like that is so, <laughs> that's like actually beautiful. Like that is actually so beautiful, kind of heartbreaking, but at the same time you're so happy. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then, you know, and then that's like, of course, the beginning of the fucking death spiral. But like, that was the one moment of like, this is so good before they started kicking me in the vagina. The other really, really touching relationship and holic is between Watanuki and Yuko. Yes. What we don't know is that all this time, Yuko has been sort of frozen, has been frozen by uh, whatever I think of magic at a point where she is at death. Like, she is just about to die, and she has been existing all this time, um, you know, in this moment. And uh, so, basically, when this whole thing goes on, like, she's, like, finally, what's holding her in this moment is crumbling, and she's about to leave, and and Watanuki is, like, really, really upset by this, that that she's, she's leaving, like, she's, she's, like, moving on, like, this is, this is the end for her. And he's like, my, my wish is to see you one day again. And so he's like, I'm going to stay in the shop. I'm going to stay in your shop. And I'm going to hold out and, and hope that one day I'll see you again. And it's like awful and like beautiful at the same time. You're just like, kid, make better life choices. But so like, fucking cruel, right? Like yeah. the recursive awfulness of that wish of his is like so perfect and poignant because the reason she's frozen at this moment of death for as long as she is, is because like a very powerful wizard who was in love with her didn't want her to die. So he was like, I don't want you to die. Like, don't die. Live in this moment forever. Right. And at the very end, like she's gone, but like Watanuki is making a very similar wish. And at the same time, giving up his entire possibility of like a life and his best friends age and die. He remains unchanging. And like a hundred years hence, someone who's like a family member of Hiromari and a family member of Domeki may come and see him. And like, I remember getting to the end of that series, despite you having told me not to read the ending of that series, you were like, just don't do it to yourself, Prue, don't do it. And like, 
reading it and being like having that moment where I just like quietly crumpled my hand into a fist and just whimpered, God damn it. <laughs> You should just title this episode Goddammit Clamp. Like, which Goddammit Clamp. I mean, that's where we all go in the end. You're just like, ah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a fair point. Alright, we have to we have to do questions because we could just talk about how Clamp hurt us forever. Yeah, this could just yeah. become like the most amazingly lengthy, you know, group therapy session of all time. How Clamp did us wrong. Yeah. They're so prolific, like we could be just as prolific. Let's go. Let's go. Question time. Maury Neko wants to know, why didn't Clover get popular in fandom? Can I tell you the honest truth? I feel like I tried to read Clover and was like, what is fucking happening in this? And just like walked away. And I wonder whether or not other people had the same reaction. I had a pretty similar reaction. Not quite the same, but similar, which is I read it at a point where this is... I'm really sorry to everyone who likes Clover, because the art is stunning. So beautiful. This is the Negative Space series, by the way. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Um, That's, it just seems so pretentious to me and, like, obnoxious. And when I read it, I kind of wanted something pretentious and obnoxious, but I didn't have any feelings about it. Like, it never elicited a single emotion in me. Yeah, I didn't emotionally connect to it. I think there was also a problem of, I mean, because, like, theoretically, it has a lot of great elements. Like, it has a queer, it has a queer couple. It has um, sort of a tragic love kind of thing going on. It's got some beautiful art. Like, there, there are reasons why Clover should, um, like, you can imagine why it could have been more popular than it was. But I think there was also just a question of the fact that, A, it's only four volumes long. B, um, in terms of the distribution, I think if I'm remembering correctly, it took a really long time for that fourth volume to get translated. Like, I feel like there was a significant gap between the first three volumes and the fourth being translated. So I just lost track of it. I was like, oh, you're finally done, but I've forgotten what happened before. So, yeah. That's fair. It's very weird. It is very weird. Does anyone remember the plot to Clover at all so that we give someone a one-sentence rundown? Uh... uh um, da, 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 da. it's set in a dystopian future where the government is out to control, quote, clovers, a race of children with special powers. And there's a girl who, like, is kept in a cage. Yep. That's about it. Oh, I remember. There's also, like, one leaf, two leaf, three leaf, four leaf clovers, which is basically, like, your rank of powers. Yeah. It just wasn't that interesting to me. I mean, one, I don't really like dystopias. And two, it was boring. Yeah, I mean, I think you can sort of tell from our lack of reaction, but it it just was not one that made much of an impact on us, and maybe that was the case with a lot of other people as well. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Moving on! Moving on. Okay, next question is from a Tumblr Anon, who wants to know, what is your favorite Clamp series, your favorite Clamp character? If you could ask them to finish one of their unfinished series right now, what would it be? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> which one no i'm not naming anything I'm just kissing kissing. That question. i don't want them to finish anything i know I want them to finish um i want them to finish x 1999 because let's be real how much worse can it get uh why I would you even say that right. it's gonna get way worse 
I know, but just just fucking surprise me, guys. I just want to see how much worse it can get after the Rainbow Bridge. That's all I want. Like, basically, you know everything is going to, like, happen. Like, I think it's pretty clear at that point what was going to happen, which is, like, most everybody has died, so the remaining (laughs) people are going to die. So the only question really is, like, who's going to be left at the end? Yes. Anybody. And consider the theme of duelism in that series. I'm going to go with nobody. I'm going to go with rocks fall, everyone dies. Isn't that Yeah, but you love enough to know that I hate Kamui, so I would, like, be real proud if he just ate it, too. Anyways. (laughs) Great. Congratulations. Look, that kid sucks, and I hate him. Moving up, but in terms of my favorite Clamp series, I have to say it goes to Holic. I'd say it's a tie for me between Holic and Cardcaptor Sakura. Um... And if they had asked me, like, before Drug and Drop happened, I would have said I really wanted them to finish Legal Drug. And now I'm like, I hate myself and I hate that series. Um, for me, it's a tie between Holic and um, Tokyo Babylon, weirdly enough. Oh, yeah. Um, Tokyo Babylon, because I, like, I still stand by the fact that even though it is, like, a tragedy, it's a really... Um, a really well-constructed one, so there's right. that. They also just super love everything that went into Holic, and um, I don't know, I think I got into it a time where it's just somebody was like, I'm all about this. Like, this is, like, the right grade of creepy for me. Yes. Uh, I am sort of uh, notoriously bad at handling even supernatural level of, like, horror. Like, I can't, I can't deal with that. Supernatural, the show, I, I'm speaking of specifically, um, so, but it, was, like, but it was all such great horror, right? Like, it, and I don't, like, any of you listening who has, like, um, the Asian summer evening tradition of sitting around in, like, the fucking dark when it's still hot outside, like, telling stories to scare each other, like, that's, like, the feeling, the atmospheric feeling of Holic, and it's wonderful. Yeah. On that same note, I would say that favorite character is a tie between Domeki and Yuko. And I could watch Domaki and Yuko troll Watanuki, like, for the rest of my life. Yeah, but you know that, like, only, like, Yuko gets to troll Watanuki without any sort of later payback, right? Whereas Domeki has to, like, go home to his, like, angry man wife and deal with that for the rest of the <laughs> Yeah. I still love it. Agreed, agreed. Okay, next question? Next question. Um, Wurukuyu? I don't know how to say your username. I'm really sorry. Um, does any Clamp series ever end well in terms of the reader's emotional involvement? And alternatively, the anime adaptation of X1999, I still have no idea what happened there. Does anyone? Uh, I feel like Cardcaptor Sakura was one that ended well. Yeah. yeah. Like a number of like shorter, cuter series, like Clamp Campus Detectives, that That's are, true. you know, like adorable and like end well. And technically, depending on your feelings about, like, sexless robot-fucking marriages, Chobits as well. Oh, you know what? Angelic Lair. I love Angelic Lair. You know nothing about it. Okay, so the Angelic Lair is actually the precursor to Chobits, um, which is basically, there's this girl, she moves to the big city, and the thing that is, like, really popular in Tokyo or whatever at that time is basically mind-controlled robot toys that you, like, battle in a little arena at toy stores and stuff. Good. So it's like Pokemon, except that you're, like, mind-controlling a doll 
like a little tiny doll, and you make it fight other tiny dolls. I wish you could see my face right now. Yeah, I wish you could see mine, too. Listen, when I started, I was like, that sounds really dumb. Except that she, after it, like, turns out that she's a natural at controlling these tiny dolls, etc. It's very Pokemon at first. Um, She gets taken kind of, like, backstage into the world of the development of these things. And it turns out that um, the guy who invented the technology is using children in this, like, process, using is, it makes it sound way negative, but it's actually really cute and positive, um, to try and develop better artificial limbs and, like, exoskeletons for people who have been, like, paralyzed or who have lost limbs. Okay. Because you would be able to, like, you would be able to, like, mind control, like, your, your fake arm or whatever. Oh. And the way that they're improving and collecting data is by, like, having children play this game and then collecting the data from it and, like, streaming it back into the research. Oh, that sounds cool. It is cool. It's like a self-funding science project using, like, your kid's love of Pokemon, which is awesome. It also turns out that I think this, the main character, if I'm remembering this right, has not seen her mom in a long time, and her dad is always like, your mom is sick or dead or something. I'm pretty sure she's just, like, sick and away. But her mom is actually working in the research for this because, surprise, she's paralyzed. Okay. Right? So she gets to, like, she does all this good stuff and she, like, becomes the best mind control robot girl, whatever, and, like, builds these great friendships. And it's really fucking cute. Um, but that technology, I don't know if they ever actually use it to create artificial limbs, etc., but it does wind up creating Chobits. Fucking Chobits. Anyways, yeah, but, technically ends okay. Angelic Lair ends happily. Who are not me. People ended, like, people felt Chobits ended okay. <laughs> I felt confused by the end of Chobits until I was like, hold on, are they talking about her clitoris? Thank you. Okay, I'm taking a survey again on this. Is it her clitoris? Because we talked about, I talked about this with Ayaleska on our Almost Human episode. You know how, um... She has a reset button, basically. The way that I read that series... I'm so sorry, everyone listening to this who has not read Chobits. But the way that I read that series ending was that you can fuck her, but if you want to fuck her, you're going to reset her by accident. So in order to prove your love, you guys have to be in, like, a non-penetrative or, like, sexless relationship. And I was like, I call goddamn foul. Like... I had thought that, like, the the switch was just, like, up her vagina and that if, like, she wanted to be boned, then she wouldn't reset. And I was just like, this conversation is so goddamn horrible. I hate you, Clamp. My read of it was, it's her clitoris, and, you know, if he ever, like, brings her physical pleasure, she will reset and they'll have to start over again. Thank you. That's what I thought. Uh, Hoy- I thought she didn't have a vagina. I thought, like, all that was down there was the reset button. That was it. Um, so, but I only watched, like, a few episodes, so what the hell do I know? So many questions about robot vagina. So many <laughs> robot vagina questions. Like, okay, what, what is the next question from our listener? Yeah, moving on. Um, Anonymous asked, um, one, what is the deal with so many people losing eyeballs? <laughs> and two, why am I still screaming about Subaru and Seishiro? Ten years after reading Tokyo Babylon. <laughs> did, uh, Clay, do you want to give your research on the eyeball thing? I did, because um, 
we've been, of course, shrieking about eyeball losing throughout this entire episode. And that's because it happens in so many of these series. Um, and one of the things put forward was that um, sort of the clamp spokes lady, uh, Okawa, has sort of uh, bad sight in one eye. And one of the recurring themes in these series is that uh, sort of like the loss of an eye, like, is an indicator of loneliness and it's also an indicator of like um the loss that i will be supplemented by something by gaining something else so it's sort of transactional in nature um so there's a lot of like seishiro loses his eye protecting subaru and you're like oh that sounds great um no no um and then later like subaru like in a parallel like subaru doesn't he lose like one of his eyes and then I I don't even I don't remember anymore. Let's just say like eye loss like happens all over the place, whether you're like sharing eyes with somebody else or like losing your eye for someone you love, um, stealing somebody's eye. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um or gouging out your own eye because it contains magic and then you can save someone. Tubasa, I'm looking at you. you fuck probably, you. Fuck you. I yeah. think there's one part of Holic, I don't know if I'm remembering this right, where like a demon wants to barter with eyeballs. Oh, if you guys want to hear something really mean that uh, once some of my friends and I did, uh, we had a friend who moved away from Japan to go back to London. And we happened upon one of the creepy doll stores that is like the <gasps> doll you're the and worst. They were, selling, they were selling, like, the eyeballs. Like, you could, like, buy, like, your own eyeballs. So, of course, we are assholes. Bought an eyeball and then shipped it to our friend. <laughs> <person. laughs> like, like, no, no. We just sent her an eye. Um, and this was, like, right after, like, one of the first eye incidents in Tsubasa had come out. So, in conclusion, we're mean. You're yeah. so mean. You guys are the best. That's what you are. <laughs> Do you guys have a reason for why people can't get over Tokyo Babylon X99? Well, I my personal reason why I can't get over that, or the reason I still scream about them, is I find that Seishiro's entire premise that he, like, that Subaru lost the bet is specious, right? Like, right. if Subaru really lost the bet, then Seishiro wouldn't have, like, come to try and do the bet, right? Like, if you really didn't give a shit about this kid, you wouldn't have come back. You would have just killed him on the spot or whatever. But the fact that he comes back to do the bet and then like goes so far as to murder his sister, like everything that he does drips of desperate caring of this person in one way or the other. Like he's been moved and he just doesn't want to admit it because he has this idea of what it must mean to be moved. And he won't acknowledge that what he is, is affected. I want you to know that everything you just said is so like Japanese in the way that like this is the shit that comes out of you after reading a lot of clamp <laughs> well here's the thing like so they're like that's that's like I think what like continues to like sink its hooks into you in this relationship is that when you encountered them in X1999 the whole time that I was reading I was looking for any and all hints just as Subaru himself is that Seishiro is not as unaffected as he says he is so yes. he's always looking to see, like, you know, did you really never care about me? Like, 
That's you know, awful. Did I honestly lose this bet that A, first of all, I don't remember making. B, I was a child and so could not like consent to anyway, whatever. Obviously, Clamp is not really overly troubling to talk about consent uh, or anything like that. But it's like a trick, right? Because the fundamental thing is like if you're looking for it, you can't see it because you're not step, you're not far enough away from the question to be able to say like the fact that he carried out this bet, the fact that he murdered your sister, like as fucked up as all this shit is, he gave up his eye. It doesn't matter if it's transactional. He does care. Like you did make an impact. And that's the part that's, like, so brilliantly evil about that setup, right? Because Subaru will never see it. Seishiro will never admit it. But everyone else knows. Right. Everybody who's, like, briefness. Yeah. People, like, around them are like, "Um, guys, like, just FYI, I'm just going to put it out there. I think you two are kind of butt crazy about each other. Just, you know. Just a a little. Just a little little crazy about each other. Just in, like, some eye business way yeah but it's like the end scene um where seishiro dies in x1999 which sorry spoiler but (laughs) (laughs) good um is oh and here's the part i can't remember because my memory is doing several different things because seishiro whispers something to subaru when he's dying in subaru's arms because yeah sure good um I don't think we ever find out what that is, yes, I think that's the terrible tease of Clampus, that we don't ever know what he said. Like, yes. so it's like, did he say that he loved him? Like, you know, what awful, terrible thing did this asshole say with his dying words? I uh, mean, if I was writing this series, it would, like, his dying words would have been, you meant nothing. But thankfully, I'm not. But Clamp is worse than me. So really, it could be worse yeah. than that. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, okay, good. I, I was thinking that we didn't know, but then I couldn't remember if that was the case. I, I don't think we know. If or, we do know, please let us know so that, like, Hoyden yeah. and I finally, like, sleep. No. <laughs> There's also the possibility that, like, we're remembering some things incorrectly. Because it has been, like, I was reading this shit when I was in high school. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I feel like the, you can never discount how much, like, repression and attempted forgetting yeah, went into a lot of these things. It's literally only when you go back and read it again that you're like, wait, everyone is a pedophile? <laughs> everyone? There's so much selective amnesia, and also it's just filtered by years of um, secondary fantasy experience. Like, I keep being like, wait, did that actually happen in canon, or did I read that so many fics that I now believe that that's true? Listen, so. we, I had that problem where I read all of Holic. And then, like, a year later, I was trying to, like, get someone else to read it. I was like, it's great. And this is how it ends. And Prue was like, uh, no. That's the ending of Hoyden's holic fic. And I was like, are you sure? I think that's the ending of the manga. Thanks, Prue. Yeah. I prefer your canon. (laughs) Um, moving on. Yes. Another Anon asked us, uh, what are your feelings on Kuro Fai? I am angry about Kurofai because it, so when I, I mentioned earlier that there's like redonk levels of queer baiting that happens in clamp mangas and Kurofai is like a very, very strong example of that where the two of them develop um, this crazy intense close relationship like uh, 
Kurogane uh, actually fucking rips off his own arm in order to save Fi at like a beckoned moment. Um, and they and Fi refers to Kuro as like daddy and himself as mommy. And like the two, basically they're the parents of this like crazy road trip through Tsubasa. They're lovely. Um, I as individual characters, I really enjoyed them and I enjoy their interactions. And I don't know that I ever, it's like the same way that I approach like slash pairings and television shows. Like, I don't know that I ever truly believed that Clamp was going to like get them together. But at the same time, I think that makes it worse because there's no reason they couldn't have gotten together. Right. Like this is not like there's a network of executives standing around saying like, you can like queer bait as much as you want, but those guys are definitely going to bone ladies at the end of the day. This is Clamp. Everybody knows how they roll. Like, those guys could have gotten together. You wouldn't have had to make it explicit. All you had to do, possibly, was to just, like, give us a little bit of a hint of it, right? Like, just let us know that they had found some measure of happiness with each other because they both have such, like, crushingly tragic backstories, and they just never did it. Um, So in terms of, like, as a larger meta commentary on pairings, like, they make me angry because it's Tsubasa-related and everything Tsubasa-related makes me angry. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, like, a character, like, two characters and a pairing, I really liked them. Um, And I wish that there was more really good epic fic about them. I read the tiniest bit of that manga, and I really shipped those two before I made my grateful escape. You were correct in shipping those two. Yeah. Okay. Um, next person, Volps Volp, wants to know what your thoughts are on Holic Ray after the spectacular clusterfuck that was the original series ending. Um, additionally, Shiritsu Horitsuba Gakuen as the ultimate everyone lives fanfic that's not actually fanfic. So, uh, as I'm the only person I think on this podcast who actually read Holic Ray, am I correct in this? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, Slash Reporter, who sent that question in, you're a dick, because I didn't know that Holic Ray existed before <laughs> a couple of people asked about it, and then I was instantly, like, did, like, fox ears, like, and, like, spent, I stayed up until fucking 3.30 at night reading all of Holic Ray that existed. And as I current, as I just discussed with um, Hoyden and MK, it, it very much reminds me of the beginning of Holic, where it is, where it's episodic and it's much more sort of like slice of life in a noir Japanese horror story. Um, so that part really delights me. In terms of the actual story, it really delights me. But there are also elements of it that make me really unsettled because in the most recent parts that got scanlated, Watanuki is learning the proper way to tell what is an equivalent trade, like what is a fair price oh, for gosh. a wish. Yeah, which makes me really nervous. As but it knows, Like if they already went one way with the original Holic, who knows what they'll do with Ray. But, I mean, as everyone reading Ray, like, am I the only person who feels this way? Like, I'm really unimpressed with the art in Holic Ray, which is a shame because, like, I love the original Holic art so much that it's weird watching the Ray art and just be like, oh, what is this? It is not good. So I'm going to keep reading it because, like, I hate myself. But that's about it. And okay. as for the giant uh, high school AU... <laughs> Shiritsu Horitsubagakuen is um, beautiful and amazing, and I think is, yet again, an example of 
Plants are basically fangirls who can do their own AU fanfic of their shit, and it's amazing. Everybody lives. Nobody dies. Uh, it's at a high school. Everybody's there hanging out. It's awesome, right? Yeah. Is that what yes. that is? I've never heard of this, and it sounds like what I should be reading. But it's not like a it's not a full blown series, right? Like you can't like it's not like there what? are episodes or volumes yeah. of it. No, it's it's um. My memory says it's pretty brief. It's very brief. There's, like, some random art you can find. There's, like, two little random drama CDs, I think, that you can find. Yeah, it's really short. But, you know, it's sort of an a anecdote, I mean, to everything that was happening in Holic and Subas at the time. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, just give me this. Like, I just I just need this for a while. And then I'm, I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to get back into it. Uh, yeah. But... Yeah. We're like Kurogane is the gym teacher, the hilariously dangerous gym teacher, <laughs> school nurse, and just shout on and Sakura are obviously adorable students who are like also students of Watanuki, Domeki, and Hiwamari. Like it's just really adorable and everything like you wanted out of those series, but like you wouldn't be allowed to have because clamp. Right. Because clamp. Good. Good. <laughs> Hate everyone. Um Lychee wants to know, have MK or Prue read the Holic Light novel? Like, for research. You can find it online, and it's shockingly good. I didn't no. even know this existed. No. No. So, Someone can send us the link. We'll retweet it. We can all read We'll have a book club. We'll have a slash report book club. We'll live tweet our ridiculous feelings. Good. Good. Um, that'll end well. Yeah, that'll end so well. <laughs> Shut up. Fair Tijour wants us to talk about Lelouch, which is a series that had art by Clamp, but a story by somebody else, as compared to regular Clamp series. Uh, so here's the only thing I remember about this, which is, so it was actually a great surprise to me that um, one of the times I was living in Japan, this came out, um, that... Um, Actually, Clamp had done the character design for um, the protagonist of a series called Code Geass. And wait, uh, it's actually pronounced Code Geass. Yes. Okay, continue. It's a real word. It's not just like a Japanese bullshit word. It's a real word. The real word is pronounced gay ass. That I is a real for word. Chaos, but okay, whatever. Um, that's not the point. The point is, like, Clamp did the character design, so it looks super Clamp. And so at the time, we're like, wow, maybe this is going to be, like, a great Clamp series. And then I remember just being, like, bored. So um, I don't think I got past, like, the first eight episodes of this thing. So I am maybe not a good person to talk about this, except it was really kind of, it felt really strange at the time to see all these Clamp character designs. And you're like, wait a second. Like this is a giant robot anime. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a mecha anime, which I think is one that they, the closest they've come to is Angelic Lair, right? Uh, for mecha anime. What about Magic Knight's Rare? Another one that I didn't know about, or the that I didn't read. Oh, see, I that was one of the ones that I read right after reading Cardcaptor Sakura, and okay. I liked it. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, right? It's not very remarkable in any way. Right. Um, uh. In case you're curious, um, in Japanese, like, the actual correct pronunciation is Gyasu, so... 
Yes. Sure. Um, anyway. No, this makes it better. It's fine. <laughs> Next question. Next question from a Tumblr anon. When I was young and impressionable, I romanticized a lot of the couples in Clamp Cannon, <laughs> especially Subaru and Seishiro from Tokyo Babylon X. Um, before growing up and realizing how awful and destructive some of these relationships are if they were to happen in real life. Yeah, us too. Um, <laughs> I still love Clamp a whole friggin' lot, but now with the understanding that their ideas of romance can skew a little nutty, so any thoughts and candidates for Clamp's unhealthiest couples and why? Anyone who was a grade schooler who wanted to marry their teacher and had a promise ring? Um, I would say... Well, she already mentioned Subaru and Seishiro, but also Kamui and Fuma from X1999. That was a lot of terrible stabbing with glass. Good. <laughs> um, that was awful and terrible. Uh, those strike me as like the big ones, like the big, really awful ones that are um, unhealthy and destructive. And here's the thing here's the thing. Per and I were talking before this podcast about like fic that we used to read for this for these pairings and so much fic. There's <laughs> so much fic. And the thing is, like all this fic is trying to wrestle with the fact that, um, as mentioned, these are incredibly unhealthy and destructive relationships. So the the fics are trying to be like either like A, can you make this functional? Or B, can you make this worse? Um okay. and the answer is you can make it functional only if you sort of go team Loki on this thing and paper over all the awful things that happen. Um, B, obviously you can make it worse. Don't worry. So, (laughs) yeah. So it's sort of like when I was going back to like, look at some of the fix that I remember reading and loving, I was like, okay, 2000 me, 2005 me. Like we need to have a talk about all the shit you were reading. Like, yeah. 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 Um, fuck, there was someone else. I know. Okay, I also would add to the unhealthy list. Uh, Sakura's mom and her sister. Because, like, not only was she, like, crazy in love with her sister, and then her sister died after, like, marrying this elementary school teacher, as you do. Right. Um, but then even though they had, like, they both had children, and their children were obviously cousins who love each other and are best friends, she was like, I'm never speaking to your father because he stole the love of my life, a.k.a. my sister. And you're like, mm. it was. I like- mean, to some extent, I feel like every clamp relationship is just, like, a beautiful, full-blown exploration of what happens when you, like, take emotional immaturity and, like, decide to ride it into the fucking sunset. Like, even Sakura and Shoran's relationship from Tsubasa, you're just sitting there like, the whole, everything about this is fucking terrible. You guys can never be together. The reason you can never be together is because, like, your non-clone versions can't be together. Or you were together, despite the fact that you shouldn't have been together. And, like, god damn it, just meet some other people, right? Like, go on a speed date. Like, get on Match.com. Like, at some <laughs> point in your life, you have to be like, you know what? That guy was really cute. And he made my heart go pitter-patter. But if I pursue this, it's going to fracture the universe into two halves. So maybe it is time to give Matt a call instead, guys. Just think about that. That's, like, the interesting thing that I forgot about X-1999 is that there was a 
uh, not inconsiderable push for uh, Kamui and Subaru to get together. Yes, I remember this. Because, like, these are, like, the two, like, wronged halves of both these terrible relationships. And they're living in a house together with all the other good people, like you do. Um, thanks, Clamp. Um, and so, like, it was a push of, like, like, you know, wanting to, like, ship them. And I forgot this is the whole thing. But it was. Um, and I'm not sure that would have been better for either of them, because they were still, like, so broken at that point. But I'm like... There are better things than, like, what is, like, probably looking inside your bedroom window right now with binoculars. As we... <laughs> it's true. Is, again, I'm not sure that canonically happened in X, but I think... I'm pretty sure it canonically happened in X. Like, and you know what? Like, That's so right. That's... I forgot about the fact that, like, Seishiro spends a whole lot of time, like, creeping around, like, watching Suru without ever telling him that he's there. Well, um, yeah, he probably follows the guy around, collects his discarded cigarette butts, and then, like, smells them at night before he goes to bed. Just, like, this is not... Not good. Not, not good. good. Clamp told us that that's what love is, okay? That was, like, Clamp was, like, if you want romance, it's gonna involve, like, stalking and cutting out your own eyeball and maybe murdering the person you love and your twin. Uh, how would how would how much would you love it if those bitches were teaching your kids sex ed? I would murder them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like also I'm just going to like neuter my children. So casually shut this down. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, let's move on. Yeah, let's do. I added a rainbow. Said, "Am I the only one who's noticed that Clamp always had either two canonically gay characters?" such as Kake and Saiga from Legal Drug, or two characters where the gay is heavily implied, like Tomoaki and Kizu of Suki. They always fit into the same mold, even characters like Kurugane and Fai from nominally shounen series like Tsubasa, which is part of why the fans ship them so hard. They've seen this dynamic before. I'm just curious about your opinion or take on this. Well, I feel like... I feel like this... They're doing double duty here, right? Because... Clamp, in general, is very tropey in terms of the types of characters they design. There's always, like, Sakura is, like, ultimate, like, innocent, sweet girl with, like, a bright heart and a big spirit who, like, loves or whatever. And and I feel like Kurogane and Fai fall into the same character traits as Toya and Yukito did, and even the same color schemes. But that probably echoes all the way back to the basic Japanese conception of, like, queer relationships as portrayed through yaoi and boys love anyways, right? Yeah. And, I mean, there's things like, you're going to have, like, the character of Sakura, I bet you could just tell her blood type by looking at her. Yeah. Like, this is like a, it's a Japanese tactic, for these kind of stories. I think the other thing too is that, um, like, the, obviously this is a reoccurring theme that happens in their works, but the interesting thing to me is how, um, even at a time when, I mean, the, the thing about Clamp that's so amazing is that this isn't, like, their work has such broad appeal and, like, such, like, a mass market exposure. Yeah. Really, they treat these relationships always very like, without judgment. Like, these relationships existed, and they weren't derided. They were treated, you know, they were treated respectfully, and so, 
uh, I actually remember talking to um, a friend in college, and we were actually discussing, like, right after, like, one of the terrible, like, super pedo episodes of Cardcaptor Sakura with the teacher and the student. And he was like, well, he's like, it's just, he's like, it's just, it's obviously different. And he's like, sometimes, you know, Japan's just going to do, like, whatever it's going to do. And he's like, you know, like, with those boys. And I'm like, uh, that's not a, th- those things don't equal each other. Like, those, that's, that's what's happening there. But, um, but to remember that that was, like, still at the time incredibly daring. And to have that in a mainstream production, I think, is one of Clamp's signatures at this point. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay. Um... Next, parenthetical explanation asked, I tentatively want to get into Clamp. I've tried to read a couple of things, but I can't get past the art style. Do you have any recs that have a good story with not quite so unsettling artwork? I like Nana and Fruits Basket, if that helps. I'm sorry, I I can't hide my tone here. I think the art in those two series, okay, no. Are hideous. Nana is okay, but Fruits Basket is so ugly, and Clamp is gorgeous. Like, like I, think- I would actually say Nana is more ugly to me, and Fruits Basket is like, eh, it's like, it's not that it's, it's not that it's particularly terrible, it's just like there's nothing distinctive about it. Really? Because to um, me, Fruits Basket looks like bad fanner. I think that Nana looks like, I just, I hate that art style, and Fruits Basket was like, not great, but like, inoffensive to me. It's um, really cute, I felt. I, I just feel like it's one of those things where... We're not going to be able to help you because we very different like Clamp's, um, we really like Clamp's art style. Like a lot. Though, I'm like. Although, if you like, if you like, um, if you like Fruits Basket, you may actually like the art that they're doing in Holic Ray. There you go. Whatever we don't like, maybe you will like and vice versa. Because it's not like the Holic Ray art is quote unquote bad. It's just like very different and stripped down from what they did in Holic, and, like, I wanted my, like, Victorian Mooka, so uh, I'm bad ex- about it, but it may work for you. It's like that expectation, right? If you are expecting the art of Holic, of course Ray is going to disappoint you. Although another series that might work slightly better for you in terms of I'm trying to identify, the problem is because Clamp has such an enormous body of work and such a broad number of styles, I can't really identify what you find most unsettling. I would say the le- like the most close to like I would say anime baseline type artwork um, that they've done was in Chobits. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah. yeah. So I think so you want to try that. The other interesting thing is, I mean, she said that she's trying to get into Clamp, which means she's maybe only looked at one or two things, I'm going to assume, right? And it's like, well, what did you look at that was so ugly? Because what if it was something that, like, agreed that was not their best art? We have no idea. Yeah, so, I mean, I would give a shot to, I would say that of their work, probably the most visually challenging thing that they've done is Holic, because it is so distinctive and weird, and if it doesn't click for you, it like I can see how the really extreme elongation and black and white and lack of use of screen tone is like very strange. Yeah. So you might want to give a try to Chobits, which is like much more visually friendly. And I think Cardcaptor Sakura is also very visually friendly art. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like the art in Cardcaptor Sakura, I, I don't know why you would like Fruits Basket because they're both so shojo. <laughs> like so shojo. 
Eat shoujo. The thing that makes this question particularly hard to answer is that um, each of these projects has like, um, like, oh, how it does like all the sort of basic character design so far, but in terms of like being responsible for the primary art, um, that responsibility shuffles around. Yeah. So that all these series have dramatically different looks and you can kind of tell like, okay, maybe this person had more influence in this series and this person another, but there's such a, a wide range of styles that it would be really hard for, for us to say without knowing what you would see. Yeah. I mean, just go look at a bunch of clamp stuff, see if something appeals to you. But yeah, start with Cardcaptor Sakura. And Chobits. And Chobits. Though, heads up. Fucking Chobits. Her clitoris is probably the reset button. Or maybe she doesn't even have one, so who knows? Mystery. Alright, moving on. Clamp question from Maya Lin. Theories on who the last three tarot cards would be if they ever got to finish publishing X. Sun, Judgment, World? I don't actually remember this part of X. The only thing I remember is Subaru is the hanged man. That is all I remember from from the tarot X whole thing. Okay. That's helpful. We failed you. We're sorry. I don't know anything about that series, so it's not on me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, like, abandoning responsibility here. Um, Anonymous wants to know, do you think X99 will ever get finished? Especially since they picked up Legal Drug and Holic again. I think we already answered this. The answer is no. No. Bitches are over that. Bitches are over that. Leechy wants Rex for Holic, Fick, or Dujinshi that isn't by you two. Here's the great thing. The first time I saw this Twitter question, I was like, oh, not by Prue? Hoyden. And then I was like, wait a minute. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. We do have some wrecks, and this will lead us nicely into the wrecks section, I think. So, since MK is still digging around through her bookmarks, why don't we let um, Hoyden get us started? Okay, I'm going to do the fic that... You know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to be generous and kind today and leave it for you. Okay. Yeah, just just, just for once. Um, so, that leaves me actually with only one fic to wreck, since I know for 3,000% sure you're going to wreck the other one. <laughs> the fic that I want to wreck is called In My Line of Work by Lyra. Um, this is actually the first one she published. She's like actually written a bunch around this fic, but I just want to recommend like the first um, one shot she wrote of this this thing. And it is a post Tokyo Babylon fic. It's actually a, a Tokyo Babylon X fic, and uh, it takes place probably in the earliest days of the X1999 um, timeline. And what's really cool to me about it is that it is a bystander fic by a police detective who is uncovering shit that he does not understand. And he's like, there is something creeptastic going on with <laughs> this with this kid that I picked up. Um, he may have committed a murder. I'm not really sure. Um, but definitely, like, stuff is hinky here. And it is wonderfully creepy, and I think it it does, like, the best job in terms of being, like, an outsider looking at Subaru and Seisho's relationship and going to be like, this is not right. Like, this is like every single warning bell in my head. 
and being like, and it's happening and like, you can do nothing to stop it. (laughs) So I, I don't know if I just sold that there, but it is like, I think a really good examination of the relationship as it stands in canon and the way that relationship uh, is influencing the people around both of them. So, um, and it's kind of a cool, like, you know, police detective case story kind of thing. So that is my one rec, and I will leave the second for, for Prue, even though, to be fair, when we both were reading this fic, we immediately emailed each other, and <laughs> we're like, oh my god, did you just read this thing? So, Prue. I feel like, I feel, so... I'll, I'll wreck this first, just so I can get it out of the way, and we can talk a little bit about it. But I feel like the week this fic was posted, um, I was getting on a plane, so I put it on my Kindle, and it's called, uh, this is an ex-holic story um, by Foolish Mortal, and it's called The Professor's Wife. Um, she loves The Professor's Wife. Yes, it's fantastic, and MK remembers it because it is the only holic story we told her she was allowed to read. <laughs> um, it's 56,000 words. It is amazing. It is wonderful. It is so good. It is the ending to the series that the series deserved. Um, and it is just as like sort of noir Japanese horror mystical, but with a lovely touch of domesticity and maturity to it. Um, that is absolutely a joy. But basically the week this came out, I read it on my Kindle as soon as I landed and had like 4G again. I think I emailed Hoyt and was like, have you read this? And she was like, I'm reading it right now. <laughs> Good. We talk about this story a lot. Um, I don't know, like, other people, but I was definitely reading this on the train just this week after having reread Holic Array. So it's probably my favorite Holic story ever. Ever. Yeah. Ever, ever. And yeah. the summary of it is, um, the students all said that Professor Domeki had a wife who made him lunches and impeccably pressed his shirts. Watanuki found this hilarious. Uh, and it's wonderful because it's basically set in the universe where no one can see Watanuki anymore because he lives inside the shop. So he, his entire life is defined by absence, but he still lives it somehow. And it's, it's beautiful. Everyone should read it. It is beautiful. And I think the way that Prue and I have continued to sell this to people is we're like, okay, listen, listen, listen. If you don't know how Holic ended, great. Read this. If you do know how Holic ended, Read this especially because yeah. it'll just make everything better. We're just trying to like convince everyone that, that what are you talking about the last three volumes of Holic? That stuff didn't happen. This this story called The Professor's Wife happened. You yeah, you yeah. were confused. There was a time skip. It went straight <laughs> into your adulthood. That's what we've been working on. Um yeah, yeah. but I also to truly show how deep my crazy goes, um, I dug through all of my old anime fic recs. And found two other clamp fix that I'm proud to wreck even today. Um, one is called A Thousand Offerings. Um, and unfortunately, I can't really tell what the author name is of it. The The URL subhead for it is Shiny Akabeko. And it's on a tripod website. So add oh. mine, guys. Um, but it's called A Thousand Offerings, and it's a Tubasa Reservoir Chronicle story. And it's about um, one of their turns around the multiverse where they're in a version of ancient Egypt. And it's about their sort of day-to-day life w- living and working in ancient Egypt and Phi bringing home beer and them baking bread and building monuments. It's wonderful. It's like a, it's a weirdly perfect slice of life story. What? What? 
it's just like a thousand percent something like you are reading like the life that you want where it's just like people like making the best homemaking and like there's some food involved and like alcohol and like just making sure that you have a really beautiful tidy home in ancient Egypt yeah no wonder you like that like that's pretty much Prue catnip to a T right this is like a stereotype of Prue this is amazing (laughs)
She's the one that we mailed the ice to. Are you serious? <laughs> and so it comes full, full circle. circle. <laughs> Fandom is surprisingly small. Yeah, yeah. it's apparently terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's like a sign of true friendship if someone's going to mail you, like, just an eyeball. Guys, I don't need you guys to treat me to true friendship in this fashion. <laughs> just feel free not to mail me an eyeball. Okay. No no sharing blood either or scars or... You yeah, don't, don't, blood. don't mail me an eyeball. Don't share blood. Well, you know, maybe if you're a universal donor. Um, I'm like the opposite of a universal donor. Yeah, like, please don't feel compelled to, like, rip off an arm in case we're trapped in a magical bubble. Any of that stuff we could just skip. Okay, sounds good. I wouldn't rip off my arm, but I might rip someone else's arm off. You're a good bro, buddy. You're a good bro. Someone we don't care about that much. I would just, like, sacrifice them for our health and safety. (laughs) Oh, God. That That does not make it better. I think it makes it way better. We should go to bed because I'm getting punchy. No, we have to end this. this. All right, guys. Um, This was a terrible journey of discovery that we all went on together. And it's just something that happened to us and we have to deal with it. Uh, (laughs) I'm, you know, if you've never read Clamp before, I'm really sorry if we just took you down with us. Yeah, basically, you know, not that sorry, but a little sorry. A little sorry. Um, (laughs) And I think that, thank God, does it for us this week. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the flip side. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Usually sorcery, or someone else digging out an eye. I'll just give you my pupil. And then we'll, like, share an eye and a half between the two yeah, of us. Yeah, let's see who says, kids, it's okay to do humanities, but maybe you should also learn using science and math. Uh, she wants to hear us talk about here. Hold on, my cats are opening my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cat, okay.